At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Thank you, Pastor Vince. Merry Christmas, everyone. <clears throat> In 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a Christmas song that many of you are familiar with, but that song was very inconsistent with what he was going through in his life. It was a time in our nation's history where hundreds of thousands of men and women had died during the American Civil War. His very own son had just come back recently with um, severe wounds that he had received from the battle as he was part of the Union Army. In fact, just a month before Christmas occurred, his own wife passed away. And yet as he sat by his window in his home and he heard the church bells that had begun to ring, he took pen and paper and he began to write a song that many of you are familiar with. He wrote these words. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. But as you continue to read that song, you find that that song takes a turn to the dark side. And I don't mean Star Wars. It talks about the cannons that were firing across America, leaving carnage in its wake. And in fact, when you get to the sixth verse, he writes these words. He says, But in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And yet in spite of the pain of his own very life and his heart and the pain of a nation wounded by a civil war, something began to stir in his heart even as he was writing that very own, this very own hymn. As he remembered the darkness that was pervading that nation, his nation, our nation, he remembered that it was on Christmas Day that God pierced that darkness with the light of Jesus. And that into the darkness of our lives, Jesus comes. And so he concludes the song with these words. He says, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, good will to men. Amen. But I think you'll agree that the world we live in today, while we don't have a civil war and a full-fledged war going on, it's still pretty dark, isn't it? Just turn on the news, read the newspaper. It's dark. The news is depressing. In fact, the best therapy for your depression is to turn off the news. <laughs> Stop reading. Because it's filled with despair. Whether it's COVID or the economy or what's happening in our world or even in our own city streets, the violence that's going on, the chaos, it's dark, it's depressing, it's full of despair. Where do we turn when the news is so dark and so gloomy? Where do we turn and where do we go to when life is full of despair? I hope and pray that you will turn to the Savior. 
You see, while we live in a world full of bad news, Jesus is good news for everyone. Amen? Amen. Jesus is good news for everyone. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We have been, in, as Pastor Vince said, in a series called Eyewitness, where we have been looking at the Christmas story through the eyewitness accounts of people who lived through the Christmas story. Last two weeks, we looked at Mary, and then we looked at Joseph. And this week, we come to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. And if you have your Bibles or devices, it's a great time to turn there. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20. We're going to look at another eyewitness account of the Christmas story. We're going to look at a very familiar passage, the passage about the shepherds. And while we look at a very familiar passage, I pray that we will look at it with eyes of faith, that as we see what they saw, as we listen to what they experienced, that we too will see and experience the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to draw your attention to three very specific things that the shepherds saw that we too must see in our lives. And that is, the first is that we must see the glory of God. I'm reading from verse number 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, f and they were filled with great fear. You know, shepherds get a bad rap in commentaries and in sermons. You know, we get told that shepherds were despised, that they were dishonest, that they couldn't, you know, have um, an opportunity to testify in court. But I'm not sure that's all as true as it's cooked up to be. It was true later on in life, but not during the New Testament times. When you look at the New Testament and you look at the Bible in general, when you look at Israel as a whole, this nation was a nation of shepherds, weren't, weren't they? All the way back to Abraham, they were shepherds. You remember when J Joseph brought his family from, from Canaan and into Egypt Remember, we read in the book of Genesis that the Egyptians despised shepherds. And so instead of having them settle close to them, they gave them the land of Goshen to settle in. So they were shepherds. They were shepherds for the majority of, of their life as a nation. In fact, David, before he became king, was a, a shepherd. He was a shepherd boy. So shepherds get a bad rap. And then during this time, certainly shepherds were ignorable. They were lowly. They were humble. And as one commentator put it, the presence of the shepherds is not a negative point. Rather, they picture the lowly and humble who respond to God's message. They're lowly, ignorable, insignificant, and yet it's to them that God showed His glory. And so the shepherds here really represent blue-collar workers. These specific blue-collar workers are working third shift. And it's the middle of the night, and they're out in the fields of out, just outside of Bethlehem, and they're keeping their flock. They're tending to their sheep. And most commentators believe that these sheep that they're tending really are owned by the priests in Jerusalem, that these sheep would have been used in the morning and the evening sacrifice that would occur at the temple. They also believed that these shepherds would also have been keeping the Paschal lamb. The Paschal lamb was a special lamb that would be offered during Passover. And so, in order to protect the Paschal lamb, because the Paschal lamb had to be without spot or without blemish, and so in order to protect these, these newborn lambs, these Paschal lambs, they would wrap these sheep, these lambs, in swaddling cloths so that they wouldn't injure themselves and get a blemish, and then that would disqualify them from being offered as a sacrifice. 
So these are the shepherds who are watching these sheep, these lambs, in the fields outside of Bethlehem in the middle of the night, minding their own business, by the way, when all of a sudden there's a new person standing in the midst of, of their company. Can you, can you imagine? You're sitting by a campfire. You're probably finishing a meal, playing cards, telling stories, whatever shepherds do, right? I, I don't know. I'm not a shepherd. Um, and all of a sudden, there's an angel. Like, do you have a category for when an angel shows up? Like, wh where do you process that in your brain? Like, it's, it has, it, it's, angels are not frequent visitors, even in the Bible. So it's not like they had a lot to go on. And the Bible says they were terrified out of their minds. Wouldn't you be? And that's what happens in the middle of the night into the darkness of the fields of Bethlehem. They didn't have electricity back then, remember? And so when you looked up at the night sky, you saw all the stars. You saw everything that's happening in the heavenly realm. And there comes an angel. And the Bible says that not just the angel, but the glory of God shone all around him. Can you imagine that scene? You're sitting there minding your own business, living life as a shepherd, and bam, there's an angel, and there's a glow. That glow is brighter than the sun. The glow is the glory of God, and the glory of God refers to the bright light of the Shekinah glory of God, which is really the bright light of the presence and the holiness of God. And that's what they see. No kidding that they were afraid, huh? And so the first thing that the angel says is, fear not. Well, duh, uh, of course, no fear. I, we're quaking in boots or whatever sandals they were wearing. And that's what is happening outside the fields of Bethlehem. We're going to talk about what the angel said in just a moment. But if you skip down to verse number four, 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Not just one angel, but a multitude of angels all of a sudden appear out of nowhere. Like the word that the Bible uses is the word suddenly, like instantly, like immediately, like without warning, suddenly. There was one. And now there's a multitude. The, the word that the Bible uses is the word host. The word host is actually a military unit. It's a military unit. So what Luke is writing here is that there's an army of angels that suddenly appear out of nowhere. Can you imagine these shepherds <laughs> and the sheep? All of a sudden, the glow of the glory of God and that whole place is lit up and there's a multitude, an army of angels surrounding them. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Boy, don't we need peace in our world? They needed peace in their world too. Peace. We're all looking for it. Every politician is promising peace. Every ruler wants peace. Well, at least most of them. Um, but peace, peace is not that feeling you get when everything's going okay. That's not peace. Peace is that deep-seated well-being that we have when we recognize that God is in control and that he's got this. That's the peace of God. You know, when Jesus came, he didn't come into a peaceful world. He came into a world that was full of violence and oppression. The Roman Empire was not a pretty empire it ruled with a mighty fist. 
It was full of division and full of corruption and full of everything else, very similar to the world we live in today. And it's into the chaos and into the mess of that world that Jesus came to bring peace to our world. Boy, we certainly need peace, don't we? The praise of God to the highest and the outworking of peace that touches earth demonstrates the way that God's glory touches everything when it comes to dwell with us. And so, as I was thinking about the glory of God and, and how that looked, I just was reminded of the time when Moses was standing on, on Mount Sinai, and you might remember this in Exodus, and he just asked God, hey God, can I see your face? Can I see your glory? Remember what God told him? You can't do that, Moses, because the day you see my face, you will die. But you can see my backside. And so God gives Moses just a glimpse, just a glimpse of his glory. And Moses comes down the mountain, and you remember what happened? His face was so aglow from just one glimpse of the glory of God that they had to put a veil to cover his face because it was so blinding. You remember that story? My friends, 2,000 years ago, the glory of God came from heaven to earth, wrapped in human flesh. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only, one and only Son of God who came to dwell among us. His name is Jesus. Amen? We have seen his glory because God came down to this world. You know, William Shatner the 90-year-old actor famous for playing who? Captain Kirk on Star Trek. Remember? A long time ago. <clears throat> he finally got to go <laughs> where he's been trying to go every episode of Star Trek. He finally went to space aboard a Blue or Origin rocket. And when he came back, he, was, he, was, he couldn't stop talking. <laughs> they had a mic next to, next to him when he came off that rocket ship, and he couldn't stop talking. He said it was unlike anything that they have ever described. But he went on to say these words. He said, I'm so filled with emotion about what just happened. I just hope I never recover from this. I hope that I can maintain what I feel now. I don't want to lose it. It's so much larger than me and life. It has to do with the enormity and the quickness and the suddenness of life and of death. And I wonder if the shepherds felt that way. I wonder if the shepherds felt that way. God, I never want to lose this feeling. I never want to lose what I just saw and felt and heard. How about you and me? Do we want to keep that feeling, that awe, that amazement at this story, the fact that God left heaven behind and came to this world, this world, to be one of us. The amazement of the truth of who God is and that he would condescend to come down to this world as a baby born in a manger to a lowly couple. Would we want to lose the wonder of, of that truth? I don't think the, the shepherds ever wanted to lose that truth. I hope you and I never get over the wonder of the fact that God came down on Christmas Day for you and for me. The shepherds saw the glory of God. The second thing they saw and the second thing we need to see is the humility of God. Notice verse number 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The reason for the angel's visit is that he is bringing good news. What's the good news? That there is a Savior who is born who is Christ the Lord. Let me just pick apart those three titles very quickly. He is a Savior. A Savior means that He's come to save us. Friends, when, when the angel appeared to Joseph, and we looked at that last week, the angel told him to name this baby Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You realize that our greatest need is not to be saved from COVID or sickness or ec the economy or our, or our neighbors or anything else. Our greatest need is to be saved from our sins. That's why God sent Jesus as a Savior to save us from our sins. But not only is he a Savior, he is Christ, which means the anointed one. In Hebrew, that's the word Messiah. But you know, if you put the, an E-N at the end of Christ, what do you get? You get christen. You know what that represents? That he is the king. He is the king who rules over all that he is the rightful king who has come to bring his kingdom, his kingdom here on earth. He is Christ, and his dominion rules and reigns over all. He is a savior who is Christ, the Lord. The Lord is another word for God. He is God. He is the rightful ruler of this dominion, of this universe. That means he is Lord over all. He is Lord over every star. He is Lord over every planet. He is Lord over every plant and every animal and every legislator and every ruler. He is Lord of all. He is the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isn't that good news? Yeah. Amen. That's wonderful news. And this wonderful news has two components. Notice it is gr good news of great joy. Wonderful news that should bring great joy. It was great joy to Mary and Joseph. This birth was great joy. It would be great joy for these shepherds who would finally see the fulfillment of prophecy. It would be good news for every single person, hundreds of thousands of people who would come to understand who Jesus truly is. What great joy there is in the birth of this baby who came to bring peace to this earth in the midst of chaos great joy. But not only great joy, but you notice that we also find that great good news of great joy for all the people. It's not just relegated to the rich and the powerful. It's not relegated to the religious elites or the priests. It's not relegated to people who have power and money. This good news is great joy for everyone, for the rich and the poor, for the high and the lowly, for the ones who have and the ones who don't have. Everyone, everyone is included in the wonderful scope of the words, everyone. Good news of great joy for all the people. Friends, all of us are included in that category. This is great news, isn't it? That Jesus came to this earth to bring peace God's peace into our hearts and our lives. And so, those are some amazing titles. Those are some amazing things that this baby is going to do. And so, where would we expect such a baby to be born? 
We would expect a baby like this to be, royal, to be born in royalty, to be born in a palace with all the pomp and the circumstance and the fanfare and the pronouncement and the proclamation and the media and everything else with the rights and the privilege and the prestige that such a baby should be born with. But is that how Jesus was born? There's a simple answer to that, folks. It's no. He wasn't born that way, was he? He was born in a cold barn with animals and hay to a poor couple who couldn't find room in the inn. No fanfare, no pronouncement, no media, no journalists, nothing. How many of you remember Harry and Meghan having their second baby in June? Really? Nobody? Okay, well, I, last time I checked, all of you were listening to the news. <clears throat> you all remember it. Okay, don't, don't fast. It's all right. But the world knew. Why? We have a fascination with the birth of the royal family, don't we? Somehow, someway, the whole world knew because every media outlet, every newspaper, everything you picked up, every headline you saw on, on, the, on the little ticker on your webpage said, they got a baby. But for Jesus, nothing. Just some animals and hay and maybe some dung in a, in a barn. And that's what he got. What does that tell us? That this great news of great joy for all the people. You know, God didn't sit in heaven and tell you that he loved you. God didn't sit far off and look down upon us and say, do more, try harder. No. Love came down and took on flesh. God came down in the form of a baby, placed into the womb of a young Jewish girl because he loved you and he loved me. He came into this world to be one of us, to show us and to tell us how much we are loved. That's the kind of God we serve. That's Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago in a little city outside of a little city outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem to an insignificant couple who had no money and had to swaddle him in some cloths and lay him in a stone feeding trough because there was no place else to put him friends that's the humility of Jesus you see he loves you and he loves me it doesn't matter how unloving we are or how unlovely we are he loves you, so he came down for you. He came down for me. He came down for the rich and the poor, the lowly and the proud. He came for everyone. He came for you and for me. See the humility of Jesus. And so that brings me to my third thing that we need to see, and that is we need to see the good news of God. Notice verse number 17. <clears throat> Let me go back up to verse number 15, actually. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with great haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You know, once the, once the angels had left, the shepherds didn't sit there and debate about what they had seen. 
They didn't have a debate or an argument. They just up and left. They went to Bethlehem to see this good news. And when they got there, they saw exactly what the angel had said. But you got to remember how this scene is playing out. All the angel told them were, was there's a baby boy wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now remember, there's no Google. There's no GPS. There's no what three words to get them right to the door of the, of the manger that Jesus is born in. They just had three clues. So they leave, just watch, right? They leave the sheep behind. They run to Bethlehem and they look at the first door and they knock. Hey, is there a baby born here? No, they go to the next door. Hey, did you get a baby boy? Is he, is he in a manger? No, no, yeah, you don't, I know. Go to the next door. You could, if you were standing on a hilltop outside of Bethlehem, watching this scene, you would have seen the lights, the lanterns, the candles turn on progressively throughout the city as the shepherds went door to door looking for a baby boy wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And every house that they would go to would have been curious. They would have been woken up in the middle of the night. What do you mean, baby boy? He's a Messiah? What? No, he's not here. Try down the street. House to house to house to house. Probably even having more people join them in the search party to help them find this baby boy. And when you finally found, when they finally found that manger where Jesus was born, can you imagine the joy of the shepherds as they saw what the angels had told them? Jesus, Savior, Christ, the Lord. Wow. I wish I could have been there. But I want you to notice three responses. You see, these shepherds, as they swept through Bethlehem looking for Jesus, as they stirred up that whole little town with the news that a baby had been born who is Christ the Lord. You see, Israel has been waiting for this Messiah for thousands of years. They've been waiting for the fulfillment of prophecy. And these shepherds, these lowly, insignificant people are coming through the town proclaiming that the Messiah has been born. You can imagine the stir that would have caused. They became the first evangelists of the great news of great joy to all the people. But I want you to notice three responses to their message. First was the, in verse 18, we see that there was wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement. Everyone who heard the news, whether before they were found the child or after they found the child, they were filled with wonder and amazement at the news that Christ the Lord had been born. Wonder and amazement. When's the last time you and I had wonder and amazement at this story? Has this story become so common, so familiar, so mundane, that it's lost the wonder and awe that it should have in our lives? That the God of the universe would leave the comforts of heaven to come to be one of us, to live like you and me, to experience what you and I experience. Just think of the journey that that cost him and the love that he had for you and for me. Folks, may we never lose the wonder and the amazement of Jesus coming 2,000 years ago. The second response is in verse 19. We find that Mary treasured and pondered all these things in her heart. There were certainly a lot of things to ponder and treasure over, wasn't there? 
the news that Gabriel had brought her, the news that the angel had brought to Joseph, the words that these shepherds are telling her, there's certainly a lot of things for her to ponder and to treasure, isn't there? Ponder means to think through, to meditate on the things that are stored up in our hearts. And she was pondering and she was analyzing. And you've heard the story, oh Mary, did you know? I firmly believe she didn't know. She didn't have a clue. She didn't have a clue. She just had what the angels had told her. And yet she pondered and she analyzed and she thought through all of the events surrounding this child. Friends, as we come upon Christmas, we are just days away from Christmas. Have we pondered Christmas? Have we thought through this Christmas story? Have we had time to sit and to meditate on the incarnation of Jesus Christ? Or has Christmas kind of just caught up to us and in the hustle and bustle of buying gifts and presents for everybody else, we forgot the greatest gift that we can ever receive? That is Jesus. I hope and pray you'll take time to ponder, to treasure, to think through, to meditate on the truth of the fact that the God of the universe came to love you and to save you. And the last one, in verse number 20, we find that the shepherds respond in worship. You know, the shepherds could have gone to Jerusalem and signed a book deal, couldn't they? They could have gone on a, on a, on a, on a speaking tour and, and gotten some endorsements and some advertisements. I mean, we've seen the Messiah. Come talk to us. <clears throat> Where did they go? They went back to their fields. They went back to their dirty, smelly sheep. But they went back different, didn't they? The Bible says they went back glorifying and praising God. Friends, this Christmas season, may we never forget to worship Him. The band is going to come up and we're going to sing a wonderful song of praise. But as they do, may I just ask, have you forgotten to worship Him? Yeah, you come on Sunday and yes, we sing some wonderful songs and, and those wonderful children led us in some wonderful music. But have you and I truly worshiped him. Has the good news of great joy penetrated our hearts? Friends, not one of us was born in this world with the intent of dying. Every one of us wants to live forever. Amen? No? You don't want the fountain of youth? <laughs> we, none of us really want to die. I mean, deep down, none of us do. But Jesus is the only person ever born in this world who came into this world to die. And not just any death, but a cruel, torturous, painful kind of death. Not because he was at fault. Not because he had done anything wrong. But because of you and, and me. Because of what we had done. He came into this world to pay the penalty you and I could never pay so that you, can, you and I could have a relationship with God that we didn't deserve. Friends, that's what Christmas is all about. Christmas is so tied with Good Friday and Easter, you can't separate the two. They go together like peanut butter and jelly. You can't have one without the other, can you? Now, don't argue with me. Just go with it. <clears throat> he came to die for you and for me. Don't leave here today without knowing the good news, receiving the good news, accepting the good news that Jesus died on your behalf 
so that your sins could be forgiven and that the peace of God could settle in your heart. And friends, if you're here and you know Jesus, won't you take the next several weeks to reacquaint yourself with the story, to read it afresh, to read it with eyes of faith, to remember that he who had everything left it all behind to come humbly in a cold, dirty manger because he loved you and he loved me. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and gets you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.